Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. This Australian Investors Podcast episode is brought to you by The Intelligent Investor, Australia's premier investment research membership service. You can get a free trial for 15 days, no credit card details required. To access the insights of some of Australia's best analysts, use the coupon code RASK and secure your Intelligent Investor membership today. We're proud to have The Intelligent Investor as an ongoing supporter of the Australian Investors Podcast. As a result, RASK does not earn a volume-based fee. Simply head to intelligentinvestor.com.au or use the link in your podcast player to access your free trial. This episode of the Australian Investors Podcast is also proudly supported by SelfWealth, Australia's leading independent broker. Over 120,000 investors trust SelfWealth with over $9 billion in equities. With SelfWealth, you can trade ASX, US and Hong Kong listed shares for a flat fee. On a $10,000 investment with Comsec, you'd pay $29.95 in fees. Yet with SelfWealth, it's just $9.50. The thing I like about SelfWealth is the full access to fundamental company data and how easy it is to trade US, Hong Kong, and Aussie shares in one place. You can see your Apple shares and ACDC ETF right beside each other. To join SelfWealth now, use the link in your podcast player or head to selfwealth.com.au and use the coupon code RASK during sign-up. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Hey, mate. How are you going? Good, man. How are you? Are you dry? I'm dry. I, I am dry. I am dry down here. I'm on the beach today. I'm down in Sorrento, which is, um, for those of you from not from Victoria, that's like at the very south tip of um, the big bay around Melbourne. So I'm down down by the bay enjoying the sunset. And you're not flooded or you are flooded where you are? Well, we were all, well, my area was flooded, uh, but we are now not flooded. It's, it's amazing. You know, what is amazing is, it's not amazing that people have actually been flooded and had to evacuate and have lost property and things like that. What is amazing is the, is the fury of nature. Water comes in, it's there for like, you know, for two, three days, you know, this just near my house, it looked like a lake. People were jet skiing on it. And, and I, I salute the spirit of Australians who in this bloody bad weather are willing to take the jet ski and their boat and actually find we can't do anything. We'll just boat around. That I think is awesome. Um, and uh, yeah, but the, 
you know, now it's dry. There's a road there and there's like paddocks. And uh, yeah, I took photographs of, uh, there were a couple of cows that were stuck on the high end. And I was just thinking, well, if the water keeps coming, there's not gonna be, they're going to be under. <laughs> They'll have to swim their way to the other side. I often see yeah. that, right? That the livestock in paddocks, they end up stranded on the little bit of grass that's above above the water yeah. level. Yeah, it's it's been pretty scary, all of the water that's been going through Southeast Queensland and, and, and New South. Um, yeah, I, I saw, I think, I think I saw on the ABC last night, uh, Brisbane received 200 mils a day for three days in a row, which is an enormous amount of rain. Think about that water. That's, that's just, insane. if that happened in Victoria in one year, we would be, we probably, no one would live here. Uh, we wouldn't know how to handle it. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, uh, yeah, thoughts go out to everyone that's been affected by this because there've been so many families, businesses that have been affected. I know you can, uh, at various places like Officeworks, for example, right now you can donate uh, at, as you go through the checkout. You can round up uh, if you want to. So, yeah, thoughts go out to everyone and, and make sure you, you do your bit. Um, mate, today we're going to talk about six companies, companies that are at or near 52-week lows. We've got some U.S. companies. We've got some Aussie companies in here. We've got some small caps. Um, we've got some companies that were mega caps or not mega caps, but large caps and now drifting back into the mid-cap range, uh, whether that's ASX or global. So. Um, why don't we start off with one which is very, very popular and the thing that we're recording over right now, which is Zoom. Um, Zoom, free cash flow, positive, but almost down to where it was, if not down to where it was pre-COVID. So I don't know if you have any updated thoughts on this. I remember us talking about it during COVID. We brought up some results and when they nearly made an acquisition and so on and so forth. Um, I feel like there's some bargains to be had. Is Zoom one of these companies? Well, you know, Zoom is free cash flow positive, right? It prints billions of dollars of free cash flow, uh, mm. which is really good. I think they're buying back shares. Uh, they have announced, I think, a billion dollars of free um, share buyback. So that's good. I, I think what's weighing on the results is like the stock had uh, run because of COVID in many ways, right? Because you know, mm. COVID basically gave them a the tailwind that they probably never dreamt of, right? You know, and, and it just came and there were accounts and accounts and growth. And, you know, so they, they were what, like a four, four, close to a $4.1 billion run rate revenue when they finished the year. But if you look at the guidance, right, the guidance basically just calls for maybe 10% growth. Maybe, yeah, it is. Right? Yeah. So when you look at that, that tells you something, right? That tells you that it is not that the growth that they saw. So they had 55% or 60% growth last year. Right, or the just just the fiscal year that just just ended, it just tells you that fifty five percent growth that they had, in fact, did pull in or pull forward some of the demand. Right, so you can't take that fifty five percent and extrapolate because the company is saying, well, our growth next year is ten percent. Right, and we don't know what the the following year is. So, um, yeah, so this is an interesting thing. I mean, you know, how much more do we need? Uh, Zoom, you know, how much, you know, how many of those meetings that are happening on Zoom are now going to happen on uh, uh, in face to face? Those are, those are good questions. Um, yeah, so the, my main issue always with Zoom has been it's not so I think the quality of like the quality of the results are really good, right? So, I mean, that's you know, billions of dollars of free cash flow, several billion dollars of mm. um, of revenue, you know, growing. Let's say, let's say even if it grows at 10 15 percent, that's pretty good. My issue with Zoom really has been that it is like one product that a lot of other companies have, 
right? So Cisco has something, you know, um, uh, Microsoft has something. And in fact, Microsoft has an edge because Microsoft has Teams, which then gets bundled with, you know, their Slack-like uh, yeah, chatting bot, then, you know, they can sell it alongside Office. Um, so there's a lot of competition. There's FaceTime, there's like, you know, there's tons of other things that exist. Mm. Um, so I think it's very competitive. And so I don't know what its moat is. And it's very hard to then think how it's going to do over the long term. So I don't have a very good thoughts on the valuation, but you know, there, there are some reasons as to why it has pulled back this hard, because I think investors are realizing that maybe it is not a 30, 40% growth rate into the future. Yeah, it's, you can see it here on the screen in, in front of us. We've got the ticker terminal up. 11% growth is what analysts expect, then 14, 11, 12, 16%. This is the top line growth. Yeah. The thing that always catches me out is how um, profitable Zoom is because it's not like the other tech companies. It's so profitable. Um, but it's like you said, if you're going sequentially from 55% to 11%, uh, people then think, well, okay, you've pulled forward a lot, but how much of that is sticky? Uh, and that, I guess the question, therefore, is how much do they keep? How many of those customers do they keep? Um, like I said, we're, we're using Zoom right now. Last time we were, we, we were on air, um, I, I said to, to you that, oh, well, we use um, Slack for everything. We use um, Google Meet because it's natively integrated when we set up a calendar invite for, our, for, for us or for anyone else outside of our business. But then someone on Twitter pinged me and said, hey, you can just get that integration with Zoom. Um, and then instead of a, ca a Google calendar invite, it, uh, uh, Google meet invite, it sends the, um, the Zoom invite, um, which has made my life a lot easier. So thanks for whoever said that. But I don't think that we'll give it up because it's still useful for our business. It's still useful for recordings. Um, and I believe it's still cheaper than the Google workspace version. So and that's not to say it's infallible. The, if, if FaceTime does deliver with the business style, um, FaceTime where you can you don't have to be an Apple user to use it. I think we'll make that transition. I don't know. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know if you have a view on how sticky Zoom is, but I think that's the key question for me. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if look, FaceTime already has the ability to call outside of uh, the Apple ecosystem, right? So you can just send, uh, yeah. So you can already send a link to anyone, and they can you know pick it up on a browser. But then <laughs> what they don't have is the ability to record yet. Uh, or transcribe yet. Like, I mean, if they if they start providing those features, that would be like, you know, very, very difficult for a company like Zoom then to fend off, right? Because, you know, there you go, natively, company with, you know, several billion devices has just seeded all these devices with this free software that just works, right? Um, so I think that that's the thing. I mean, you know, if it's like, again, we the other way to think about Zoom would be, look, it's growing, its current growth rate at the top line looks like it's like Apple. Yeah. Right. So you shouldn't expect it to have a multiple like greater than Apple. And probably I would argue that you probably have a multiple smaller yes. than Apple because yeah. it's not as moti as Apple. Right. It's not Apple. It's basically got one thing. You know, Apple is like a company within a company. Right. It's got tons of things that it is doing. Right. So, you know, it should be pretty reasonable. If Apple is 30 times free cash flow, why shouldn't Zoom be, you know, anywhere more than 20 times, 25 times free cash flow? As an example, right? I mean, this is just ballparking it. So, yeah, um, yeah. So, and then yeah. maybe if it's twenty-five times free cash flow, maybe maybe it can go down more. <laughs> right? Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's 
It's currently at 20 times free cash flow right now. So maybe, okay. yeah, so yes. maybe it's reasonable. So maybe it is, you know? maybe it's reasonable, right? So yeah, that's, those are my thoughts on, on, on Zoom. Yeah, yeah. Okay, interesting. Um, it's a, I think it in the right hands, if it fell far enough, it's probably not there yet, but in the right hands, some other business might look at Zoom and say, you know what, we could bring that into our ecosystem. Something like, maybe not so much like a Salesforce, but maybe something like the Salesforce. I don't know. Maybe there's... Um, a business like that, they could say, okay, we'll take that feature and put, pop it inside our ecosystem and presto, we're even more powerful together. So, yeah. Acquisition floor. Yeah, there's probably an acquisition floor on the share price. I don't know what that is, but I, I'd say that I think that's right. Yeah. 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 And, and Salesforce could be the one, right? Because they acquired Slack. So it, it almost seems, one of the things I never understood is why Slack was, like, I mean, Slack had, uh, still has a video feature, which is not very, very good. And almost seemed like mm. Slack and Zoom should like talk to each other. And those are the two companies that I thought should like should you know should have actually merged. <laughs> yeah, uh, wasn't that like? Oh, sorry, I'm speaking out of turn because I don't know the exact number, but I feel like it was thirty eight billion dollars what they paid. I'm just going to look uh, at this now. Yeah, I don't remember exactly. So it sounds about right. Oh no, twenty. Sorry, twenty seven. Twenty seven billion dollars. Yeah. So. And, and, and under Salesforce, it actually has done very well. It's one of those kind of unicorns that are a billion dollars in revenue. Um, yep. And so, you know, Mark Benioff has done a great job of making that acquisition when he did. Um, but maybe Salesforce is the business like on that for that acquisition floor. So really interesting. Um, another company that's that's we've spoken about quite a bit on the show is Okta. Um, OKTA is the ticket code. Okta. Um, Really, really impressive business in cybersecurity, does workforce management, customer identity. Uh, you can log in with single sign-on through Okta and you can get into all of your apps in one place very securely. Um, shares are up 6.7% overnight. We're recording on March 10th, by the way. Um, but the business still has been sold down. So I was surprised to, to see this. I checked it just before. Shares were up around about $285, now down to around $170. Um, that's you know a year later. So the business has been pretty heavily sold down, but fundamentally, it seems to be growing strong. Um, just in terms of revenue that was recorded recently, uh, $1.3 billion of revenue up 56%. I'm going for a full year 2022 results. Um, an operating loss of $767 million, which was pretty meaty, to be honest. That's 59% of revenue. Um, that was because um, the CEO basically came out and said, Tom McKinnon said, we, we made a decision to grow, 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 he said. Um, so, I mean, that's pretty obvious what they were doing. They were spending, I calculated, the equivalent of $221,000 per newly acquired customer on sales and marketing. So I was trying to back that out. I was thinking, okay, well, how many customers do they have that would you know bring in ACV above that annualized contract value, by the way? Okta has around 3,100 customers who spend $100,000 or more. Um, but as we know, this is really sticky software. It's like a platform. It's like a gateway to the internet securely into apps. So I don't know if you have any views on, on Okta, but it seems like it's steady as she goes. They are ramping spending, which is kind of putting investors off. But I feel like it's a, just a really sticky wide moat business. Yeah. So I really like Okta. A couple of things I'll observe. Uh, you already said one. So if you looked at the fourth quarter, for example, the operating expenses went up 81%. 
right? Mm. Part of that was, I think, because they got in OT0, right? So they yeah, acquired OT0, that added to the cost, um, right? Uh, but at the same time, you know, if you include OT0, uh, the revenue was up like 63%, and then your expenses are up like 81%. So, you, you know, you're really, really burning um, uh, burning money. The other thing that I think happened with Okta is just, if you look at like past eight quarters, they like there was a time when Okta was generating. So this was like if you look at like you know uh, financial or fiscal year twenty, uh, fiscal year twenty Okta was actually free cash flow positive. It almost hit like 16, 17, 18. and then in free ca- in uh, fiscal year twenty one in Q four I believe it hit uh, or Q three it almost hit twenty uh, percent free cash flow. Okay, um, mm-hmm. so. And then uh, odd zero happened and, and, and then their expenses started ballooning and then it's been like, you know, uh, on the way down, right? So part of that is just the market saying that, you know, like you're not generating, you're, you're burning money and, uh, you know, you're spending like crazy and your organic growth rates are not that high, you know, like you're spending that much money when organic growth is like 35 to 40%, close to 40%. So, I, I think that's the uh, the the issue there, um, but yeah, but I think you know, we know as you said, you you hit hit it right. You know, I guess you hit the nail there um, by saying that you know this is a sticky software, right? So basically, at scale, this is going to be very cash generative, um, and they could decide to just you know ramp down spending and be highly cash generative. So yeah, does you know I, I think this is a relatively cheap share price right now, in my opinion. Okta. Mm. Um, I do own shares of Okta. Um, yeah. Likewise. So I, I think, yeah. So I, I think this is, um, yeah. And, and of course the non-gap operating, uh, operating profit being, or being an operating loss um, is, is also, and, and it's actually doubling, I think this year, this, so I think we're in peak spending and, and, and the market is saying we don't, the market doesn't right now, doesn't like anything that says we're going to spend a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, I think the, um, the, the Auth0 acquisition, I think it, some people would criticize it as being quite expensive, but for anyone that has been around developers before, you'll know that it's kind of the industry standard and it's very, very powerful software. Um, and so I think this was, Okta was the, the right buyer for that. Maybe you could say Microsoft or someone else that wanted to just dig their heels in even further, but um, by joining with Okta, it's like, it's, it's kind of the perfect marriage um, between you know customer identity and workforce identity, so um, yeah, I, I I think Okta is one of those really impressive businesses that in the cybersecurity space we've talked about Zscaler, we've talked about um, CrowdStrike, we've talked about a bunch of businesses that um, you could maybe play on this thematic. But yeah, uh, yeah, and and um, uh, Todd McKinnon, uh, nice, you know, beautifully timed the market when it comes to buying odd zero. So they bought they, they bought it for shares, and I think they paid very close to the peak share price. Yeah, I think I saw is- your tweet on that where you said that yeah. if they had if they had waited, they would have diluted uh, Octa shareholders considerably. So uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, Another company that maybe we'll jump to the ASX now, we've done two from um, the US. Um, A company that came out recently was uh, Tyro Payments. So uh, Tyro obviously does the terminals where you can tap your card or tap your phone at uh, connects with point of sale systems, um, like all of the major point of sale systems here in Australia company came out with a result and it basically went backwards from an operating loss perspective. Um, the company made no 
attempt basically to say, oh, yes, we're going to be in profitability at this time. Um, and I think right now that is not what the market wants to hear. You know, if your operating loss is widening um, at the same time, you know, the investors are very, very concerned about capital raisings and, and these types of things because as interest rates go up, um, the you know theory tells us that capital raisings become more difficult or the price um, will discount. So Tyro came out and and its results, while its results were you know consistent, they're around about consistent with what the market had expected. Um, if you backed out the TPV or total um, processing volume, that was kind of just below what it seems like the market was expecting. And then if you you dug into the results, you would see that their take rate, which is basically what they keep from every time you cap, tap your card, if you if you back that out, you would actually see that they did not pass on um, the increase from Visa and MasterCard when they pushed their extra costs through. Um, Tyro provided rental relief for customers while also absorbing more of that um, that extra cost from the interchange. And all in all, investors just did not like that. And even you know we have a recommendation on Tyro, and we've we've seen the share price fall considerably. Um, and I own shares in Tyro, and. All of a sudden, the rhetoric changed from "oh, this is the, you know snatching share from the big banks." It's a you know leading terminals business. To all of a sudden, whoa, what's the terminal value of this business? What is the value of Tyro after five years? Because if they can't pass on the cost to their merchants, I mean, sure, it's great when you can say, "Oh, we're helping out our customers," but you still have ten or eleven percent churn. Does that mean that your pricing power isn't there? Meaning that if your price, if you increase prices or you pass the cost on. How many customers do you lose? I think, personally, I think it was the, the wise decision not to pass on the cost when, frankly, no one was probably using the terminals during COVID anyway. So you wanted to keep those customers. But at the same time, um, Visa and MasterCard passed on costs and Tyra had to absorb it, basically. So um, really interesting business. It's come down a long way. Maybe I'll um, bring up the, the charts here. I don't know if you follow it that closely, mate, but um, Tyra is on the ASX, TYR is the ticket code. Let's have a look here. Yeah. Do you follow it that closely? No, I, I don't follow that, that that closely at all. Um, it's an interesting, but I, I think these sort of businesses, they can be actually pretty sticky, right? Um, mm-hmm. um, yeah, but I don't follow it that closely at all. So I don't yeah. have much thoughts on uh, Tyro. Yeah, the business at the top, at the top line at revenue, um, I think you can see here that analysts were expecting or still are expecting about $320 million of revenue. Um, we suspect it might come in a little bit below that but it's really the it's really like the operating loss here that's really concerning for people even analysts here are still saying that it's coming back to um break even in 2024 um with interest rates rising that can scare a lot of people so with square pushing further up square terminals in australia and they're pushing further up the um i guess the the from small businesses to medium-sized businesses and that's kind of encroaching on tyro space um, as well as, you know, all the usual suspects like the banks and, and what have you. So, um, yeah, that's Tyro Payments. We moved it to a hold just because we're a bit uncertain about those operating expenses. And it's okay, it's okay to keep spending if you're going to keep acquiring. But um, the terminal value is the big question mark for us. I've had some good conversations on Twitter about this. So if you do have views on Tyro, please reach out to us. Um, on Twitter, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, so we've got a few other companies to get through. That was Tyro. Um, another company on the ASX, mate, which is a company that you know better than I do, uh, which is a company called Damstra. T- trades on the ASX ticket code DTC. 
Um, I thought this was like Right Crowd, RCW, <laughs> which is a company I know reasonably well, but um, damn straight. What yeah, so I don't, I don't know. I actually don't know Right Crowd, so I can't really say whether or not they're the sim- similar things. But this is basically like um, you can call it workplace um, management solutions. So, like you know, think about a company that uh, uh, think about a mining company. They have people. They go into the mines. You need to you know comply with health and safety regulations. How do you you know you know track where they are, uh, whether they're safe or not, and things like that, right? So you know that's that's an example of things that they can provide mm-hmm. um, and they provide this like a you know some hardware and some cloud-based solutions and things like that then and, and of course you just store this data uh, over the long term uh, you know, that can be used for analysis and it can be used to comply with various regulations and things like that so uh, it's a neat little uh, business um, a couple of things happened they acquired a company called Bolt um, a while back and I'm not you know, they acquired and then they had the sort of the, the founder of Vault came in. And then after a while, the founder of Vault basically left. Um, so so that, that happened. And then um, they lost a major client in uh, Newmont. So uh, that, that has hurt them a lot. And, the, you know, basically growth has pretty much stalled company has um, had to do cap raises and things like that, I guess. Um, and, and so I, I think the issue really with this company is they have footprint in North America and parts of Asia where they want to grow. So they're losing money there while trying to grow and losing, uh, you know, uh, North America, American clients. So if you're burning the safe, you know, three, $4 million on those, um, uh, those uh, segments, your your profitable Australian business is basically having to pick up the bill for that, right? And, and that can be an expensive thing to do if you can't scale up and scale quickly. So that's been, you know, it's been on a, it's been a, a terrible stock, I guess, to own. Um, you know, it's basically gone down, 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 and they've had to raise, uh, you know, at, at you know, this was like a two dollar plus stock at one uh, at one mm. point, but they've raised capital at like thirty cents not too long ago. And now the shares are like twenty cents. So, um, yeah, mm. so it, it's not. It's been in. And and the other thing I'll say is that if you know, if you're like a sub fifty million dollar business and you you know you're you're growing at like ten percent or five percent and you're really struggling, then it it would suggest that maybe the you know maybe you're not tackling the market or the market is not there or the market is not ready for your solution. Something is this a product market fit um, or go to market? Something is not right. Um, and, and yeah, so that, that, that's really what's happening there. So yeah, it's mm. been a treacherous time for shareholders. Yeah. It has down from $2.20 in October, 2020 down to 20 cents today. Um, it's, I, yeah, I mean, that's a big fall, N- never good to see if you're in the shares, but I guess at the same time, many of these small, smaller cap companies have been really punished. Um, if they haven't been yes. able to turn to prof- profitability uh, as quickly as as its shareholders in the market demands, when um, inflation and interest rates are on the horizon, so um, it's a yeah, it's I think speaking from my experience with Right Crowd, it's it's been a similar experience with them. Not reaching profitability um, has hurt them, even though they are increasing their the subscription revenue and their recurring revenue. Um, it has hurt them, not nearly to the extent of Damstra, but. Um, yeah, I mean, this is this is pretty common across the market. At a fifty million dollar market cap, uh, this is one of those. Is this, does this fall into one of those 
not to put it too lightly, but is this to fall into that category if you have it in your portfolio? Um, is it such a small position now that you don't sell it because it's so small? Yeah, like so, like you know, typically that's you know. So you let's say this was you know, um, it, it, it was probably a two three hundred million dollar company, maybe even like a five hundred million dollar company at one point in time, right? Yeah. Um, even at that point, it's relatively still small. You probably had a small position anyways to start off with, right? And it's now fallen so much that each, like I mean. It could be taken private for all you know at some price. Um, it's still found a run, right? Uh, mm. It's run by the founders, so it could be taken private. In and your your shareholding probably has become so small that you know if you probably sell it, you're probably going to incur uh, a lot of the transaction cost is going to be pretty hefty. So it's you know it's like probably not worth consider selling or anything. I'm you know again I think it's yeah it's at a, yeah it's just one of those that you know you probably just leave it. And maybe it turns around. Maybe it doesn't. If it doesn't, it's a memory. It serves as a lesson. If it turns around, then it turns around. In which case, mm. you, you know, yeah, I, yeah. So yeah, it's fallen mm. a lot. So you know, when something falls like by a factor of ten um, from the peak, if you bought it at the peak, then yeah, yeah, it's a kind of position. Yeah. Um, so the next company that. We're going to shift gears back to the US as a big company, um, at least by Damstra standards, um, which is Shopify. Basically, every company in the world that is involved in any type of e-commerce or um, any type of you know managing customers' data and serving customers online or in, even in person nowadays, it seems, says, we're going to be the Shopify of, insert their industry. And this company has set the standard for um, e-commerce, for managing online stores, et cetera. We've talked about it quite a few times. Uh, the company has basically also set the standard for how quickly you can lose $1,000 in a share price. It's gone from $1,668 uh, a share in November on November 15th, 2021 to $587 today. This would be all March 9th, 2022. So it's basically wiped you know 60% off its market cap in a few months. Um, but still embedded in so many customers' workflows, um, websites around the world. We know there's there are you know competitors in the space. Uh, Adobe has one of those competitors. Some of the other businesses have competitors for e-commerce. WooCommerce is there. There's so many different competitors, but Shopify is the standard. Um, I'm not sure what to make of this. A jump 14% overnight. Um, you know, really interesting business, wide moat business. Turning to free cash flow profitability, so yeah, I'm interested to hear your thoughts, mate. Yeah, like so, like you know, like with, the, with Shopify, large. So I'll, I'll, I'll say that yes, last night was as weird because the you know a lot of stocks were up like five ten percent um, uh, on pretty much no news, uh, I would say. Um, but so the results for uh, the company were actually pretty good, right? Um, mm. I'd say pretty good because you know the last quarter's revenue was something like one point four billion dollars. And it was still 40%, 41% or odd growth. Now, the growth was a slowdown, you know, so the, I mean, there's deceleration in the growth. And, and I don't think Shopify actually explicitly provides revenue guidance um, as a company. So, you know, they're, they're very fuzzy about guidance all the time. I guess the one thing to take away was subscription revenue was down. Uh, you know, it only grew like 26%. 
uh, year over year, right? It was the merchant solutions that grew 47%, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, you can say that the deceleration was largely a byproduct of, I guess, slowdown on the uh, subscription side, right? So, and then if you think about the type of clients, uh, you know, so Shopify does serve large clients, you know, enterprise grade clients as well, but it's bread and butter really is the SMB, right? And I think one of the things to realize, and, and it's really geared towards like the online first, right? It's really geared towards the online, like people who said, okay, I want to sell jewelry and you know, I want to do it quickly. How do I do it? I do it via Shopify, right? Uh, you don't even open a store and, there was a lot more activity around that um, through the COVID crisis, right? That's mm-hmm. number one. Um, a lot of people buying things online and people would, you know, buy stuff online because they had nothing else to do. Like, I mean, you have, you know, you're, For sure. if you're working, you have nothing else to do. You want to buy some fancy jewelry online, you just do it, right? Now, now you probably go to the mall and, you know, and look at stuff and then decide what you want to buy. So there's that element at play. The other element at play is um, the overall slowdown there would mean that there'll be a lot of churn happening, right? And that's always the case in Shopify. There's, you know, so any any company that serves the SMB sector sees a lot of churn. For sure. So, but I would say that the churn might be elevated because there might be some businesses that are going to go away. That you know, there were only COVID only that had a business during COVID. And the interesting thing with any small business is that there's a fixed cost to run the business, right? And you're operating it above that fixed cost, then you're making a profit. But once you start dipping below that, you know, you don't have a business anymore because you're making losses now, and you can only sustain losses for so long. So I, I think that's the other dynamic at play. A uh, lot of e-commerce companies have reported slowdown, especially those around you know serving SMBs and things like that. So that, that that's been that's played into the share price. Um, the final thing I think, and this is maybe an odd thing, uh, is the a lot of small businesses get advertising done through Facebook, whose advertising has been impacted because of iOS. So there's that element too. This is in many ways there's a confluence of factors that have sort of you know, COVID happened, which gave an acceleration. Then COVID sort of you know went away in the background. There's a deceleration. That deceleration is coupled with you know changes in privacy um, uh, from uh, iOS's point of view, which then has impact on Facebook and other advertising platforms. Which then you know so there's a confluence of factors that is, is pushed. But I still think this is a great business, right? And and Toby. Uh, um, is is a fantastic leader, and you know uh, he's really building the Amazon for the masses, right? This is really his thing, right? He's building the Amazon for the masses, um, you know, for the little guys, the Amazon for the little guys. So I, I think you know this. I think the share price looks attractive, actually, to me. I, I do own some shares, and it's not a, it's not a big position for me. Uh, I actually initially I didn't buy into this, <laughs> thinking I missed the boat. Then eventually, I bought it on a pullback, and then on that pullback has further pulled back. So maybe now is the time to actually think about adding to the position. But yeah, um, when you I, think I, about yeah, sorry, go on. I like this business. Sorry, yeah. I'm, I'm, when you think about the size of the the TAM for this business. The market cap fallen from 180 billion dollars in 2021, FY 2021, um, down to 75 billion dollars currently. Um, still, still growing, still reaching inflection points. It's um, super impressive business, um, and 
this is a, yet another one of those businesses which probably has so much latent pricing power inside it that it's not even realized yet. So, um, yeah, really interesting business. I think this has got to be near the top of my watch list for US companies. Surely this is this is a business that, yeah, industry leader. I think it's it's one that demands further research. If you do have any more views on this, we'd love to hear from you on Twitter uh, at 7 at Mahanti and um, at Owen Rask. So the final company is um, Zero, which is the Kiwi slash Australian, we'll claim it, um, cloud accounting software business, uh, rivals Intuit outside the United States, basically in the United States. It's pretty far second place for them. Um, but Zero has really released no information um, since reporting, and yet it is being aggressively sold down. I'll bring the chart up for those people who are watching rather than listening. Um, the business... You know, zero, as we know, it's super sticky, lots of pricing power, um, switching costs um, for, for, for consumers. We can see here, um, what's this? November 1st, 2021 was trading at $154 a share, now down at 97. So, you know, losing 30% or more of the share price um, pretty quickly. Subscribers everywhere in the world are growing, even though it dominates in New Zealand and Australia and the UK, it is still growing. The UK still has quite a fair way to run, in my opinion. The United States market, which is fascinating to me because I basically, I know there were a lot of bulls a couple of years ago for um, Zero to take a big slice of the pie away from Intuit slash QuickBooks. That really hasn't happened, but it is still growing at a rate which in, in the United States, which I thought was really, really impressive. So um, I can't really... Uh, you know, I can't really fault the business in any way. I would think maybe what the market is concerned about is obviously, you know, a lot of global uncertainty, a lot of investors worried about what inflation means to small businesses, wage inflation means, um, you know, there's a lot of compression in small, medium business margins there. So um, I think I did a very, very short Twitter poll on this. And I basically said, if you use zero, would you, um, would you cut it? You know, under what circumstances would you cut it? Basically, and everyone said they could charge me two hundred bucks. I still wouldn't cut it for for, for your reference. They only charge about fifty five. So, um, I think this is a business that, yes, we will see maybe some you know some turnover in in the small and medium um, enterprise uh, segment. As you've always said, that that is kind of part and parcel of that market. If you deal with retailers, if you deal with physical stores, if you deal with basically any small and medium business, you're going to see some of the level of churn. Um, but Zero for me, um, under $100 is, I think, for the long, for a 10 year view, I really like Zero. I think the app, the app store that they've got growing, I think their ability to make complementary acquisitions, whether it's in the United States, um, the UK, elsewhere, uh, they got a lot of firepower now. Um, on an EBITDA basis, they're profitable and they're just going to get more profitable, in my opinion. The marketing, yes, in the United States and the UK is less. Um, I guess less tempting for the business. So we're seeing, you know, a, a worse relationship between lifetime value and customer acquisition cost. Uh, most companies break that down: lifetime value divided by CAC, and they put it in months. Um, and the, the relationship there isn't nearly as strong as it was in the um, ANZ markets early on. But that is okay. I think that the UK's and um, the American market are tougher markets to crack, and if they can do it, which they seem to be doing. Really positive. So I don't know. I don't know if you have any views on this, but um, I still really like Zero. I own the shares. Um, personally, it's one of my biggest positions, and I'm quite happy for that to be the case. I like. I think, like as you said, like it's like a SaaS business. The only thing I would say is, it's a SaaS business. At uh, these businesses can continue growing for a long time. 
like you know and then the rate might be lower but it'll, it'll continue mm. growing and um, you know once you're profitable you, you'll get a lot of operating leverage coming through so you'll you know you'll be cash generated at that point i actually always thought this business is going to get acquired that's my thought <laughs> uh, too yeah uh, I, I always thought that this is going to get acquired i'm almost i always always thought that it's a good acquisition for intuit if it wants to be like basically the leader in the space you know you just get the complementary markets of the uk uh, australia and new zealand uh, right and given how important like you know it looks like australia new zealand is not an important market right but if you think about some of what the global companies do look at square right i mean among the outside markets it's not that big in european markets i don't think they've just launched into some european markets um, mm. but they're here in australia uh, apple would always launch a product here pretty much simultaneously and if they have to test you know when they launch the home home pod uh, we are like a test market in many ways mm. for that right so uh, so I would, th- I always thought that Intuit would ultimately acquire maybe the price, you know, at, at this price, at the hundred fifty dollar price, they have to pay a premium, but at a hundred dollar price, they pay like in twenty percent, thirty percent premium, and they can acquire it. Like I mean, you know, I think there's an acquisition floor at some, I don't know what the, that price is, but there is an acquisition floor, I think, for this company. Um, mm. Well, Zero's fourteen billion dollar market cap. Uh, let's have a look. Intuit's one hundred thirty one. So um, it would probably be a script offer. And they could probably do it. I wonder if there is any competitive uh, issue around that because of um, both of them being the dominating software in Australia and not so much the US, but um, maybe the UK, maybe Sage is, you could probably say Sage is competition in the UK, MYAB's competition here in Australia. But um, yeah, I mean, I thought when Rod Drury stepped away as a founder that, that something like that might have happened. But Steve Vamos from Zero has just kind of led the business from strength to strength. They did a, a convertible notes offering a little while ago and they never really put that money to use. Uh, so it looks like if you look at zero, you think, oh, it's got a bit of debt. It's actually because they've got the cash still sitting there from, mm-hmm. from that raise. And um, you know that doesn't necessarily seem like a bad offer. In fact, I think if I could own the convertible notes, I probably would. So um, yeah, I, I, I think zero is a really interesting business. I think there aren't that many really impressive tech companies like this in Australia that are having success overseas. So this is one that I would look to tap up on, top up on during weakness, um, like we're seeing now. That's neither of us have any predictive ability in the short term, to be sure. You know, we're not saying that these businesses are going to suddenly bounce back and in a year you're going to see double-digit returns or anything like that. But what we're saying is fundamentally, the, many of these businesses are quite strong. So just to recap, we've talked about uh, Zoom, which is free cash flow positive, maybe has an acquisition for Okta uh, growing. Um, now it's got the Auth0 um, acquisition better down. We should see some normalization in that and hopefully those customer numbers keep growing. Tyro payments, which um, is still experiencing a bit of bloat, maybe through a bit of wage inflation and new highs. Uh, Damstra down from $2.20 odd to 20 cents after doing capital raising at 32. That hurts. Shopify um, also down a long way shaved $1,000 off its stock price, which is a, a big deal when you consider it 60% odd. Uh, and zero also down about uh, you know 30%, uh, one of Australia's and one of the New Zealand's uh, leading technology companies and still growing fast and sticky. So a really interesting kind of uh, strong, for the most part, a pretty strong bag here. Maybe we could say that um, Damstra's maybe not in that case, but um, six really interesting businesses. So all, all worthy of a spot on a watch list. Hey, mate, is, did I hear correctly? I tuned into a Spaces this morning with Simon Erickson. Is it Seven Investing's birthday or something coming up? Or is it like an anniversary? Or is there something coming on? Yeah. So it's anniversary. I think the March is the anniversary month. So I think 
Seven Investing mm. started in March 2020. Uh, we have a deal for anybody who wants to join. They can okay. use a code called birthday at uh, checkout and it gives you $100 off mm. the annual subscription. Uh, so instead of $3.99, I think it goes for $2.99. So if anybody's okay. interested. Just writing this down now. I'm going to put it in the show notes. Birthday coupon code. What do you say? $100 off the annual. Yeah, annual sub. Annual sub. So from $3.99, it goes down to $2.99. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and you can lock in that price as long as you stay members. So it's not like a one-time off. It's off in perpetuity than $100. Hmm. And you get all those ideas flowing thick and fast every month. Um, yeah, why not? Birthday is the coupon code, 7investing.com slash subscribe. Um, I do not have any coupon codes, unfortunately, to share for Rask. But um, yeah, if you're going to join 7investing, now sounds like the ideal time. Uh, you get a, you get 100 bucks off. Um, and as always, you can find us on Twitter, full links in the show notes. Be sure to reach out to us if you have an opinion on Zoom, Okta, Tyro, Damstress, Shopify, or Zero. We are all ears. We love to learn from you. So uh, reach out to us and say hello. Um, I get a few messages when we do these, these shows, and it's great. Um, actually, I will call out one thing. I will put a link in the podcast player. If you're interested in my reading list, so a reading list that I give to our analysts, um, I've got my some of my favorite books in there. I've got some of my favorite podcast episodes, not just from Rask, but from around the world. Um, if you want to become a better investor, it's a free download. It comes with a Google Doc form, so you can uh, Google Doc, so you can just download it and put all your notes in there and whatever. It's just a free reading list and podcast list. Check it out. Um, got some videos from Pat Dorsey and all over the place. So have a look. It's in the in the podcast player, mate. As always, it's my absolute pleasure. Stay stay dry, stay warm, and um, I'll see you next time. I'll see you next time too. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest... Now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.